Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. So if you're a guest with us today, uh, my name is Lee and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, want to say welcome. You are here on a very, very special day because it's not every day that I wear a unicorn on my shirt. It's my first shirt with a unicorn. It's the first time I've ever preaching in a shirt with a unicorn on it, right? And so you may be wondering, like, why are you seeing some shirts around that are white or gray that have unicorns on them? Uh, it's because today we're setting aside time to show each other how we love one another and care for one another. And uh, we have a precious little girl in our church named Maggie, who is four years old. Her mother, uh, Megan, is on our staff as a preschool director. And uh, Maggie is battling a very rare form of kidney cancer. And so after church today, we have a barbecue fundraiser lunch that we and just invite all of you to, or if you're going to take it to go, that's great as well. And then also we have these t-shirts uh, that if you would like to buy one, you can call the church office, contact Angela Bowman, and all those proceeds are going to the Pawn Shock family uh, to help them uh, in their medical expenses. And so I will let you know, you can get one in white, like Pastor Matt had, you can get one in gray, super comfortable and uh, very stylish. All right. And so... Uh, I encourage you to pick up one t-shirt, 10 t-shirts. They make great Christmas gifts. And, uh, and so I saw Maggie uh, the other day, and I told her, I said, Maggie, I got one of your t-shirts. She's like, what? And I said, and I'm going to preach it on Sunday. She's like, you're going to preach in my t-shirt? And so it's like, I am. And it's my honor to be able to do that. And I just want to say, as a church, thank you so much. You know, my prayer, and, and just really coming into today, was this is what biblical Christianity looks like. It is showing each other love. It's taking care of one of each other. It's, it's, this is how Jesus says we show the world that we belong to him by the way we love each other. And so I, I just want to just say, church, great job. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Jody Shabby has cooked up all the briskets. He's got a huge team in there this morning getting ready. And uh, so just thank you. Let's just celebrate that this morning. I just appreciate you guys. Um, I just, from the bottom of my heart, I really do. I appreciate your generosity, and you're one of the most generous churches I've ever been a part of, and, and uh, I just can't thank you enough for that. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 17 this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Acts 17, and uh, so as you're finding Acts 17, whether you've got a paper copy of your Bible, uh, whether you've got a, an app on your phone, uh, I want to invite you to Acts 17. Meet me in verse 16 in a moment, uh, but as we are turning there, I want to open us in a word of prayer as well. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Uh, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your, your kindness. Thank you that this Christmas season we can remember uh, that we do not have to be a people without hope uh, because you are a God of hope. You are a God that showed us over 2,000 years ago how you are a, a promise-keeping God uh, by sending your son Jesus into this world uh, to die for us so that we may always have life with you. 
And uh, so, Lord, I, I just thank you for that. We, I, I thank you for this church, the way they are so generous uh, in so many ways. And we, we continue to pray for Maggie. We continue to pray for her complete healing. Uh, and, Lord, I just thank you for the Pawnshock family and, and how special they are to so many of us. Uh, and I thank you for a church that's rallying around them. And, Lord, we just pray ultimately you're going to use that story uh, to bring people to come to know Christ uh, and, Father, for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray today as we get into your word uh, that you would open our minds to be able to understand it, open our hearts to receive it. And, Lord, that we would be able to live that out in a way that's going to honor you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, when you come into Acts chapter 17, uh, you're coming right into first century. And when you stop and think about the first century and the time and the day that Paul uh, was writing and living, uh, it would be kind of strange to say first century people are a lot like 21st century people. Right? If, if I said, you know, the first century people, they're not a whole lot different than 21st century people, you're going to go, whoa, whoa, hang on one second, that, that's just strange to say. I mean, first century people, they didn't have cell phones, right? They didn't have the World Cup, right? They didn't have Facebook, they didn't have cars, they didn't have airplanes, they, they didn't have all those things. So how are first century people a lot like 21st century people today? And here's why. A lot of us think the exact same way as they did back then. See, first century people, a lot of them thought that truth was relative, that you formed your definition of truth socially and within community. And because you formed your definition of truth socially and within community, then that truth was relative and that truth could change. And so if you think that's first century people, that's the people that Paul is dealing with and talking with and, and is about to share the gospel with, that was their idea, that there's no absolute truths. You essentially form your truth based on your definition, based on the community relationships you have, that truth can change. Well, you fast forward 20 centuries, 21st century people, a lot of them think the exact same thing, that, that truth is very relative, that truth is always changing. That depending on your community and where you live and what time you're in period you're in, uh, that truth will just continue to evolve and, and change based on the way you want it to. And so as we're learning 21st century people and how to share the gospel with them, I want to take you back to Acts chapter 17, and we're going to pick up in verse 16, because here's what we want to see how Paul does it, how Paul shares the gospel with first century people and how we can share it with 21st century people. Because here's the thing, you share a lot of good news, right? You, you, you tell people a lot of good news in your life, but the best news you will ever tell someone else is about Jesus Christ, Amen. I mean, you share all kinds of good news, but the best news you and I ever are going to share is about this man named Jesus and what he did on the cross for us. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to make one of two decisions. Right? I'm going to ask every one of you to make a decision today. For some of you, I'm going to ask you to make the decision to share this good news. Right? That's the decision I'm going to ask you to make. You need to share this good news. For others of you, I'm going to ask you to make the decision to believe in this good news, to believe in this person named Jesus. Maybe this morning you're like, hey, I'm not a believer. I know I'm not a believer. Or maybe you're confused about that. 
Well, today in the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to believe in Jesus Christ by faith as your personal Lord and Savior. As we look through Paul's sermon, we're going to learn today five ways that we can share our faith in a culture where people think truth is relative. Let's pick up with number one. The first way that we share our faith is we understand our surroundings. Okay, so, so if you're looking to share your faith, you need to know your surroundings. You need to know where you are. Let's pick up in verse 16. It says, now while Paul was writing, waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Now waiting for them, uh, he is waiting for Timothy and Silas to come to Athens. So, so Paul is kind of ahead of, the, uh, of them, and so he's kind of hanging out in Athens, and he's down at the marketplace, and, and he's just looking around. And now I want you to notice what he saw in verse 16. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Right? So when you and I set out to share our faith, we need to know the surroundings we're in. Paul says this city is full of idols. Now, obviously, an idol can be a statue uh, of, a, of a person. It can be an idol of a you know, Greek god or goddess at this period of time, Roman god or goddess. Uh, you can have an idol like a little trinket. Maybe you carry it around in your pocket in that day and time. And you think today, well, wait a minute. We're, we don't have idols, right? There's, there's no idols in our lives. We don't worship like a Greek goddess or Roman goddess statue in the middle of Alvin or we don't carry around these little trinkets in our pockets. So what would our idols be today? I mean, there's not a temple to Zeus or a temple to Athena like in Athens. So what are, what are our, our idols in the 21st century? What are your idols? Right? Because think of it this way. An idol can be a good thing that you make a God thing, and now it becomes a bad thing, right? So an idol, I'll give you the definition again. Here's how you define idol. It can be a good thing, but you make a God thing, and now it becomes a bad thing, right? So a, a personal relationship can be an idol. Family can be an idol. A job can be an idol. Pursuit of money can be an idol. Sports can be an idol, right? This one's going to hit way close to home for a lot of us. Food can be an idol. Sorry, right? I mean, who is the number one counselor in all of America? Two guys, Ben and Jerry, right? I mean, they run the biggest counseling firm in all of the United States. Why? Because, man, I'm down, I'm depressed. Man, I, I need some Ben and Jerry's, right? Because what happens is an idol now becomes your functional savior. And that's how you know that that idol is now your functional savior, where you're worshiping that idol. Man, if I just had more and more money, I'd be content in life. I just need more money to be content. I'm not, I'm not content in the provision of what God has given me. I'm after that pursuit of money because once I get more money, then I'm content. Maybe as a single, all right? Like I'm single and all I want to do is get married. And if I just get married, I'm I'm happy if I'm, you know, I don't want to be in singleness. Just happiness will come in marriage instead of learning to be content and happy and where the Lord has you right now in life. Maybe it's in that job. Listen, just if I just got that job, one more promotion, one more job, you know, like kind of like that old boxer story, right? One more fight and then I'll be okay. Right? And you think about as we laughed at food, food can be that biggest idol. 
I'm down, I'm depressed, I'm hurting, I'm sad, but man, that food is going to bring me joy. That food is going to bring me comfort. So you and I have to understand that, that we are a people of idols, just like Paul saw in the city of Athens. But what was Paul's emotional reaction in what he saw? Verse 16 said he was provoked, right? Now that word provoked, it's really actually hard to, to kind of grasp what it means in the Greek. And so I, I look at the word provoked here in Acts and I go back to the Old Testament. I look at how God was provoked with the nation of Israel. See, oftentimes you read about God being provoked with the nation of Israel when they worshiped idols and that provoking that God had toward them, it was a righteous anger, right? He was upset with the people of Israel saying like, you should not be worshiping these idols and he's upset at them. But as he's upset at them, he still loves them, right? Still cares for them. And so you and I, when we go share the gospel with people that are not believers in Jesus Christ, yeah, our spirit needs to be provoked. They're, they're worshiping idols. And yes, that righteous anger to say, wait a minute, you're rejecting this good God. And that sometimes makes us upset, but it's coming from a position where we love you and we care for you and we want to see you come to know Jesus. So in sharing our faith, we want to let people know that Jesus is better than any idol they can ever worship. We know our surroundings, but let me give you the second step in sharing your faith is this. Sharing your faith, you need to start where people are. Right? You need to start where people are. And you start where they are. Let's read several verses. Verse 17, it says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those happen to be there. Verse 18 says, Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, Why does this babbler, what does this babbler wish to say? All right, all you're doing is babbling, Paul. Actually, the word babbler there, it means seed picker. Right? And all he's saying is, man, you're just picking out ideas here, Paul. What, what, are, you, what are you here saying? You're just, just searching for something. It also says that others says he seems to be a preacher of foreign gods because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, they took him, brought him to the Aragopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears, which we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, verse 21 says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend time there in, in, in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22 says, Paul, standing in the midst of them, said, men of Athens, I perceive that you're in every way very religious, right? And so he says, verse 23, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, and I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. So therefore, what you worship as unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you and make it known. So I want you to know when you share the gospel, you're sharing your faith, you need to know your surroundings, know who's around you, but you need to start where they are. I want you to notice there's three places Paul goes in sharing his faith. First, he goes to the synagogue. Right, he goes to the synagogue. Where's, where's the modern-day synagogue? It's the church. Right, he's going to the church to share the gospel. And you might think, well, wait a minute, that's weird to come to the church to share the gospel. But actually, that's what we do. We share the gospel. Right? And so when you get in your life group rooms, you guys in your life group classes, you should be talking about the gospel. Every lesson draws us back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're teaching our kids, we're teaching our students, we're sharing the gospel with them. 
Every lesson that you and I learn on a Sunday morning always should be pointing us back to the person and work of Jesus in what he has done. We're not sharing just moralistic Bible stories. We're constantly should be bringing people back to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So he, he shares in the synagogue. But notice he's also moving out into the marketplace. The marketplace is your everyday life. The marketplace is where you work. Your marketplace is where you go to school. Your marketplace is where you have recreation. Your marketplace is where you live. Your marketplace is wherever you are in life. Two places he goes, one place he's brought to to give his formal sermon. But then notice, as he's speaking, who is he speaking to? Look in verse 22. It says, so Paul was standing in the midst of them and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. When you are sharing the gospel with someone and you want to share your faith, you want to look for common ground with them, to make a connection with them, right? To open up that conversation. And when you open up that conversation, you can then turn it at some point to spiritual things. So if I'm going to share the gospel with someone that I may not know, and we'll just say that's a kind of a, a cold call evangelism, and I don't know them, and I just meet them on the street and Maybe they're a guy wearing a unicorn on their shirt. And they got a hashtag that says, fight like Maggie. And I get in a conversation with that person. And I go, hey, why, why are you wearing a unicorn on your shirt? And what does fight like Maggie mean, right? And all I'm doing is just open up the conversation. And he gets to telling me about what it means and, and why he's wearing that shirt. And we start talking. Well, then I, I, I may have an opportunity then to pivot the conversation to start talking about Jesus. And he's obviously shared with me about a person that's dear to him that has cancer. And, and that might give me an opportunity to say something like this. Well, you know, do you believe in a God? Do you have any faith in a person named Jesus? Because here's the thing. Whether that person claims to believe in a God or not believe in a God, claims to believe in Jesus or not believe in Jesus, all people on some level are religious. All people on some level are religious. And you hear that sometimes. People go, oh, I don't believe in any kind of God. I don't believe in any kind of religion. Baloney, right? All people on some level are religious. You know why? Because all people ask three questions of their lives. Where did I come from? How should I live? And where do I go when I die? Right? You write that down. Those three questions every person is asking today. Where did I come from? How should I live? And where am I going to go when I die? So every time you come into contact with someone, you understand that person has some type of religious understanding in answering one of those three questions. Where did I come from? How should I live? And where do I go when I, after I die? And guess what, guys? We have the answer to that, Amen. We have the answer to all three of those questions. And so Paul's saying, listen, I can look and I can see you guys are very religious. 21st century, people are religious. They want to have spiritual conversations. They want to talk about these things. And he says, you guys are so religious, you have a, an altar built to an unknown God. 
One commentator said it this way. He said, piety had no doubt in, in leading the Athenians to put up such an altar, for they fear they may offend some deity who they were unaware and failed to give the proper worship to. And Paul says, I can make that unknown God known to you. And that's what you and I do when we share our faith. We are making this unknown God to people known to them. So when you share your faith, you want to know your surroundings, you want to start where they are, let me give you the third one. You want to answer the creation question. You want to answer the creation question. Notice what Paul does. In verse 23, he says, listen, I passed, I saw you had an altar to this unknown God. I'm going to let you know who he is. And look what he does in verse 24. He says, to the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and the earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives us all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from him one nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. When you and I share our faith, always answer the creation question. Because the number one question everyone has on their mind is where did I come from? Every person's asking that. Where did I come from? Was I made or did I evolve? And here's the thing you have to understand. Either there is an eternal creator or there's eternal matter. You either were created or you evolved out of something. But every person has to start right there in their faith conversation. Don't assume people just believe in a God and rush right over to Jesus. It's not what Paul does in the first century, and we don't do it in the 21st century. You have to answer the creation question first. Because if I was created by a God, now I'm accountable to that God. I'm now the clay, and he is the potter. And so we answer this question, how did I get there? Notice what Paul says. He says, there is a God, verse 24, who made you. And notice this God is the God above all gods. He doesn't live in a temple, he said. He doesn't live in a temple that's made with hands. He's not served by human hands. So Paul's essentially saying in verses 24 and 25, he's not like one of those little trinkets you're carrying around in your pocket. He's he's not like that God that you got the statue of in that temple. That's not him. But notice verse 26, he says he gives life to all people, right? So every person can trace their roots back to the historical Adam. And I love this in verse 26, God is in full control of everything, right? This is one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. It says, and he made him from one nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. I love that. This God is in control of everything. That means this, what a time to be alive, right? What a time to be alive. I mean, you might think, man, oh, I don't know how much more of this I can take. Right? Jesus, come back. <laughs> Ready to get out of here. You know what? God saw fit for you to be alive right now. What a time to be alive, right? What a time to be in Heights Baptist Church. God saw fit for you right now to be the people of Heights Baptist Church. You realize that? 
Like, what a time to be here. What a time to be alive. What a time to be together. Because God, in all of his infinite wisdom, and God of all of his infinite knowledge, says, here's where I'm going to place you right now, here, alive, today, in Heights Baptist Church. Because I'm entrusting you with my gospel and my good news to get to the nations. Man, I read that verse, I'm like, God, Wow. What a time to be together. What a time to be alive. What a time if you are searching for hope to know that this God is saying, I'm placing you right here today so you can hear the hope of Jesus. So when we share our faith, we answer that creation question, but also when we share our faith, we want to appeal to the conscience of the person. Right, we want to appeal to the conscience of the person. I want you to notice how, how Paul appeals to the very conscious of the people in the first century, how you and I can do it in the 21st century as well. He picks up in verse 27. He says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, uh, yet he's actually not far from each of us. In him, he says, uh, we live and the more uh, and have our being, verse, as even some of you have our own poets who said, for we indeed are his offspring. We should pay attention to verse 29. Being then God's offspring, so being created by God, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of the imagination, right? So he's saying that he's not one of those statues, guys. He says, the times of ignorance, this God where to repent. Understand what Paul's getting at in those verses is essentially this. Every person has a conscience. Every person. Hear me clearly on this, because this is where I would get pushback with people. Every person, every person, Christian, non-Christian, knows morally right from wrong. Every person does. Every person knows murder's wrong. Every person knows stealing's wrong, right? You can talk to a non-Christian. They go, oh, no, there's no absolute truth. There's, you know, whatever your truth is, is, is your truth, and my truth's my truth. Okay, I'm going to take your car. I'm just going to come in, and I'm going to take your house. Well, no, you can't take my house. You can't take my car. Well, anyway, no, 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 hang on. You said my truth's my truth. Your truth's your truth, right? So if there's no absolute truths, then I'm going to take your car. I'm going to take your house because I want it. Well, no, no, you can't do that. Why can't I do that? Well, because stealing's wrong. Oh, oh, okay, so even though you're a non-Christian, you admit stealing's wrong, right? Yeah. Well, I don't like the way you talk to me. I'm just going to punch you in the nose. We can't punch me in the nose. Why? Why can't I punch you in the nose? My truth's my truth. Your truth's your truth. I didn't like your truth, so I'm just going to punch you in the nose. Well, no, you can't punch me in the nose because even though I'm a non-Christian, I understand assault is wrong, right? Why does every person understand right and wrong morally? Because Romans 2.15 says this, that God writes his laws upon the hearts of every person. So when you and I share the gospel, we're appealing to the conscience of the person. We're letting them know there's fundamentally morally rights and wrongs defined by the Bible. And when we commit those errors, we commit those things, we break those laws of God's laws, that's what we call sin. But notice what verse 27 says, that this God is near to us. This is good news, right? This is very good news that this God is not this God that we have to wake up like the false gods in the Old Testament in the first century. It's not this God that we've got to just search out and find. Paul's saying this God is near to you. And then in verse 30, he's saying he's giving you an opportunity to repent. He's giving you a season in your life to make it right. 
He's given you a chance to come to him based on his terms through his son Jesus and make things right. Because notice when you and I share the gospel, we want to appeal to their conscience, but finally, we want to share about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news that we don't ever want to leave out. That there is this Savior by the name of Jesus who died for us, who was buried for us, who rose on the third day for us. So you notice what he says in verse 31. He's because he fixed on a day which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now we had heard of the resurrection of the dead. Some mocked. Others said they'll hear about it again. Verse 33, so Paul went out of their midst. Verse 34, some of them joined and believed. I want you to notice there's always, always three responses people are going to give you when you share your faith. Number one, some are going to mock you. Some are just going to say no. And they may call you a name. They may say something about you. Some may mock you. Some will say no. Some will say, hey, I'm not ready, but I want to, I want to pick this conversation up soon. I want to talk about this again. And some are going to believe. Right? You're going to always get one of those three options when you share the gospel. Some are going to mock. Some are going to say, let's talk some more. I want to hear about this again, and some are going to believe. But listen, Paul did not fail that day because some mocked him. Paul did not fail that day because some said, let's talk more. Paul did not succeed that day because some believed. See, Paul succeeded that day in sharing his faith because he shared his faith. And every time you share your faith with someone, you succeed because you obey what God has commanded you and I to do, is to make disciples of all people, to love and lead them to a new life with Christ. And so as you share, understand your surroundings. Start where they are. Answer that creation question that they've got. Appeal to their conscience and share the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, when I was thinking about this message and I was driving yesterday, I was thinking about decisions that we make in life. And I was, I was just kind of going in my head. I was like, I wonder how many decisions we make. Is there any research out there about that? And so, you know, did what all of us do these days. And instead of going over to the Encyclopedia Britannica and, and looking it up, right, I Googled it. It's like, there's got to be something. So I, I Googled it, right? Young kids in the rooms, we actually like open books in the past that had alphabetical letters on them and, you know, want to learn about aardvarks. Okay, got to go grab the A volume, you know, right? And so some adults are looking at me funny too. You guys told your kids all the time to look it up, right? So today we say, look it up, and we pick up our phones and we Google this. So I Googled, I was like, how many decisions do people on average make every day? You want to know what the research shows? 35,000 decisions the average person makes every day. That's a lot. Think about that. We make 35,000 decisions on average every day. Research also shows 227 decisions we make specifically about one topic every day. You want to take a guess? Say it out loud. I heard it to my left. Food. Right? Out of the 35,000 decisions we make on average every day, 227 decisions are made just based on the topic of food. You know what Lee's research says? If you're married, 225 of those decisions is just on where you're going to eat, right? <laughs> All the married couples are like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah. What do you want for lunch? Anything's fine. Italian? No, nah, not Italian. 
Chinese? No, 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 Chinese. Hamburger? I'm not in the mood for anything. Anything's fine, right? See how that can add up real quick in those 227 decisions. Yeah. 35,000 decisions you make every day. All of them, you know, some of them can be very, very important. Some of them can be very, very minor. There's only one decision you will ever make that determines your eternal destiny. Just one. There's one decision that you will make in your life that determines where you go when you die. It's that decision of, do I believe in this man by the name of Jesus who died on a cross for my sin and rose from the grave? And do I believe in this man that says, just come to me by faith and trust me and I'll forgive you of all your sins? Or do I reject him? That one decision out of 35,000 decisions you're going to make today, just that one decision determines your eternal destiny of where you're going to be when you die. So I told you at the beginning of the message, I was going to invite you all to make a decision. And so right now I'm going to do that. I'm going to invite every one of you. Hey, maybe you're a believer in Jesus today. And you need today to decide, I need to share this good news. I need to share this. I've got a family member. I've got a friend. I've got a coworker. I've got a neighbor. But somebody special in my life that needs to hear about Jesus. I'm right now before God going to say, I need to share this. And maybe as some are doing that, you need to say, I need Jesus. And I'm ready to, to follow Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I'm going to ask you just to bow right where you are in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to make one of two of those decisions right now where you are. First and foremost, maybe it's to say, Lord, I need to share the gospel with somebody. And you've got that person on your mind. You've got them on your heart. And you want to just spend a moment and pray for their salvation. You go right ahead and do that. And say, Lord, I, I want to see my friend Tim come to know Christ. I, I want to see my sister come to know Christ. Wherever, whoever that person is, you just want to ask the Lord for their salvation right now today. You do that. Maybe you say, look, Lord, I want to share the gospel with somebody, but I, I don't know anybody to share it with. All my friends are Christians. All my you know, people in my life group are Christians. All my families are Christians. And you just want to right now say, Lord, I want to share it with somebody. Help me find that person. Bring that person to me. Lord, I, I'm going to tell you this. I, I'll 100% tell you, God always answers that prayer. You're ready to share. Maybe you don't know who to share it with. You ask them, Lord, give me somebody to share. God's going to answer that prayer. So maybe you need to pray that. But maybe today it's to right now come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Most important decision you're ever going to make in your life right now. And, and you say, hey, I, I don't know how to do that. Well, the Bible just says in Romans 10, 13, we call out to the Lord and we're saved. We talk to him. We pray to him. That's, that's what calling out the Lord means, just to pray. And, and I, I'll voice a prayer that you can follow along with me, but it, it's really what you mean in your heart because God knows that. God sees that, but you just don't know how to express the words. And so you could just simply say something like this, dear God, I, I know I have sin in my life and I'm ready to turn away from that. And trust Jesus as my Savior. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. I know Jesus rose from the grave. Right now, I'm ready to believe in Jesus. You know, the good news of the Bible is when we call out to the Lord for salvation, He answers that prayer. 
Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Doesn't matter how long you've been away from Him. The Lord is always near to you. And He doesn't put us to shame when we call out for forgiveness. Father God, I thank You today that we have good news to share. That is the good news of the gospel. In a world filled with news we get all the time, this is the best news we can receive, believe, and share with others. So Father, I pray for the commitments around the room, for people that are going to say, I I need to go share with my friend. I need to share with my, my neighbor. I need to share with my family member. Lord, I pray you bless and honor those conversations. Lord, pray for folks that right now today said for the very first time, I need to follow Christ. Lord, we want to celebrate with that, with them, and just encourage them on in their walk with you. And so, Lord, we pray you bless that as well. In Christ's name, amen.